as I think about preaching Christmas every year and what is this miracle of Jesus coming into the world, this incarnation, I return to some very familiar scriptures, and perhaps they're very familiar to you as well, that seems very appropriate this time of year. And so what I'd like to do is we focus in on this idea of hope. In a moment, I'm going to read from the scriptures. I'm going to read the story of Zacharias and Elizabeth as they learn of the coming of John the Baptist and their family. And I'm going to ask you to turn there. You're going to find it in Luke chapter 1. But what I want, want to set us up for is this idea of waiting and hope. And more than any of the words that I'm going to add to this sermon today, more importantly are these words that I'm about to read. And so I'm going to read this story. Now, I share it because this is the Word of God. This is an account of God's activity in the world, and this really matters. And so please understand, each and every Sunday when I share a sermon, I always believe that these words are far more important than the words I say. And so if you would, I'm going to encourage you to listen. You can follow along on the screen if you want, but I'm going to definitely be listening, especially with an ear toward the idea of what it means to be waiting and to have hope. I'm going to start in verse 5. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless, because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty... And he was serving as priest before God. He was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and to burn incense. And when the time came for the burning of incense, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled, gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah." To turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of righteous. To make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens. Because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah, wondering why, they, why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. 
they realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant, and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. Let's pray. Father, would you use your word today to open our hearts and open our lives. Reveal to us the hope that we have. Father, you promised us that your word is powerful. May we be changed by it now. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Confessed earlier that Christmas was always really, really hard to wait for. So I have a very distinct memory as a young child. We went to see an aunt and uncle that I was born in Kentucky but grew up in Texas. Got here as fast as I could. And so the distance was pretty good. So we saw this was an aunt and uncle who I love dearly, but we saw them at best once a year. And so I wasn't super familiar with them, especially as a young child. But one Christmas we were going to spend up there. And remember, I had waited and waited and waited and waited for Christmas. See, I, I grew up back in the day where you actually took the Sears catalog. Anybody remember this? And, and you would circle all the things that you wanted. I never saw any of them, but, you know, I would circle all the things that I wanted. And so there was just, just anticipation for Christmas. And so any other day I was sleeping in, but not on Christmas morning, especially not on this Christmas morning. I think I was up at 4.30 in the morning. And remember, I'm at their house. This is not a house that I'm really familiar with. And so I make my way into the dark, into the, the bedroom where my parents are. I throw open the door. I leap into the bed and I scream, It's Christmas! To realize I'm in the bed now with my aunt and uncle. <laughs> and they weren't too happy. I said, it's 4.30, go back to bed, we'll do it in a little bit. We don't wait well, do we? Does anybody wait well? You ever been in a line and you thought, I'm just crushing it right here. I am waiting so well. I've shared before, when I'm stuck in traffic, if you're noticed that if you're in a line or if you're in traffic, everybody else is contributing to your problem. But you're not adding to anybody else's problem. It's not like you're adding to the traffic. It's just your problem that you have to deal with. We don't really wait well. And I thought about this, and I thought about what's a symbol for waiting. Got an, this is a legit hourglass. It will take 60 minutes for the sand to fall from the top to the bottom. Now, I was tempted to come out here and put this on a table and just go silent for a long time. How long would I have to go silent before you got uncomfortable? Just watching the sand fall from the top to the bottom. We don't wait well, do we? And for many of the things, it's not something as joyous as Christmas. Because for some, you're waiting on the career to finally take off. You're, you're, you're waiting for the finances to finally get worked out. 
For some of you, you're, you're waiting for a relationship to finally develop. For, for many, you may be waiting for a marriage or a relationship to heal and come back to whole once again. Perhaps you're waiting on a healing in your physical body. You're waiting, maybe you're waiting on test results. And it, even though they say, we'll have them to you at the first of next week, it seems like five years from now, right? You're waiting for another kind of test to come back where it's positive because that means there's a pregnancy and a child that you've been waiting on. We don't wait well. It, it feels so defeating so many times. What I would tell you as we walk back through the account that we just read is that everybody in the story has been waiting. And you're going to see that come to fruition. But one thing you need to understand that when the story opens... The people of God, the faithful, like Zechariah and Elizabeth, they have been waiting for over 400 years for a word from God. The last time that he'd spoken to a prophet out of the Old Testament was in Malachi. And it has been silent since then. And they're just waiting. And they're waiting. And they're waiting. But it's also a story of hope. See, when we think about this idea of hope, hope in Scripture is not just simply a waiting, being patient. Hope has this idea, it's, it's as if, in fact, one of the Hebrew words that's used for hope in our Old Testament, it's this idea of stretching a cord, stretching a rope tight, where there's so much tension on it, you know something's about to snap. Something's about to happen. As a kid or maybe as an adult, you ever, my brother and I would do this. We each held a rubber band and we start pulling it different directions. You knew somebody was going to pay the price, right? And you keep stretching, you keep stretching. That's the idea. There's this waiting with an anticipation, almost a nervousness of, When's it going to happen? When's it going to happen? It's about to happen. We're at the edge. And just a little bit more. And that's what Scripture talks about when it talks about this idea of hope. And so it's not simply watching the sands flow through the hourglass. It's not simply just being bored or frustrated with your waiting. It's a waiting with an intent. And so, with that idea, I want us to walk back through the scriptures that we just read. And it begins in verse 5 with this. In the time of Herod, king of Judea. Now, that's easy to walk past that one real fast. It's, it's a little bit of a marker of a time, kind of places on the calendar. But if you had understood anything about Herod, you would hear in that it was really dark, dark days. Herod was fanatical. He was kind of a puppet king set up by Rome. He had worked his way in, into power and he intended on keeping power. 
Herod was so vicious that any time he suspected a family member, including his own sons, were going to somehow usurp his power or produce a coup against him, he would have them executed. It was said, a common saying about Herod was, it's better to be Herod's pigs or his dogs than it is one of his sons. Because he was so vicious and ruthless. I had a chance to travel to the Holy Lands and see one of the palaces that he built. It's actually the one that sits outside of Bethlehem. And on this palace, or on this, this large mound that he had constructed with this summer kind of palace sitting at the top of it, is his tomb. And they discovered his tomb, and it was ornate. Because Herod was going to be remembered He wanted to be remembered. In fact, Herod knew that he was not well liked among the people. That he left orders that on the day of his death, that hundreds and hundreds of significant citizens in Judea would be rounded up and brought into one place and executed so that somebody would be grieving on the day of his death. Now, those final orders were never carried out, but that gives you the idea of the kind of guy that Herod was. And so when Luke begins this story and he says, it was in the days of Herod, you need to hear it was dark times. Some of us feel like we're living in dark times now. That whatever perspective or window you look out on the world, it just seems like it's so dark. You would connect with what Herod, what it means for Herod to be king. He was despised by all. And so what we're going to gain from this story, and this is one thing that I want you to understand as we go into it, is that we're going to see that God is at work even when it's not apparent. God is at work when it's not apparent. And as you wait for whatever it is you're waiting for, for the motion of God to come, I want you to understand that God is at work. He's worked behind the scenes. The absence of seeing His activity doesn't mean the absence of God. Because He's about to move into this story where it seems like He's been silent and on vacation for so many centuries. He's actually been building for this revelation, for this moment in history. And so the story goes on. There was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descent of Aaron. Now, a couple of things that we're learning right, right off. It's almost as if the camera moves from this palace where Herod is and sweeps over and puts us in the temple. And there we meet Zechariah. And we're introduced to Zechariah and we're introduced to his wife, Elizabeth. And one thing that you need to know about them, and this is so cool, Zechariah and Elizabeth's names mean something. Zechariah's name means the Lord remembers or the Lord watches over. And Elizabeth, my God has promised. Or maybe another way to say this, my God is faithful. So here we have the Lord remembers, the Lord watches over. And his wife, my God has promised, my God is faithful. And it tells us that they are older in years. 
It says they are blameless in the sight. They are righteousness. And by the way, Zechariah is a priest, but also uh, Elizabeth is the descendant of a priest. And so you, you have this family, this couple, that they're righteous inside of God. They observe all the commands, and they're blameless. They're, they're not perfect, but they're as blameless and honorable as a couple can be. And then Luke tells us, but they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive. And they were both very old. It says they're old. They're probably somewhere past the age of 60 now. The age of getting old in that time. So it's well beyond the birthing years. It's well beyond the season when this is going to um, be a possibility. As we think about what they've been waiting for, how many times had they gone to a baby shower? How many times had they showed up at the birth of a relative's child and wondered and asked themselves, when's our turn? When's our turn? When's our turn? Perhaps every morning, though, as they woke up, and Zechariah addresses Elizabeth, good morning, Elizabeth, with those words, good morning, our God keeps his promises. As Elizabeth greets Zechariah in the morning, good morning, Zechariah, God remembers, God remembers, God is faithful. And they're reminding themselves each and every day of this. But I wonder how long ago they'd stopped the prayer. I wonder how long ago they realized, okay, that season, that opportunity in our life, that's, that's past us now. We're now moving into the twilight of our years. And, and, and our life's been good and we love each other, but that is not going to be part of our story, no matter how desperately we wanted it to be. And so we find... Lot, I'm sorry, we find Zechariah in the temple. In verse 8, it says, Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by Lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Now, remember, I said, God's at work in the background. God's at work even when you don't know that he's at work. A historian named Josephus estimates that there was about 20,000 priests active at this time in Israel. And you did not spend your entire time working at the temple. You were on a rotation that would bring you around to the temple. And so it's Zechariah's time for his family to be at the temple, and that's where they're carrying out these duties. And then they would come along, and for the special duties, they would draw a lot. And the lot that they're drawing for was the burning of incense. There was a burning of incense in the morning and one in the evening, and you were to go into the holy place, not the holy of holies, but the holy place of the temple, and you would offer this burnt incense while the sacrifice and the prayers were going on out in outside the temple. 
Now, what you need to understand is this was a once-in-a-lifetime, if that, opportunity. In fact, once your name was drawn and you performed this, your name was then removed from all future lotteries to be selected. You got a chance to do this once, if you got a chance to do this at all. And Zechariah, at the timing of God, has brought Zechariah his time at the temple, and he causes the lot to be chosen at this moment for Zechariah to be the one that goes in. So, a, an, a sacrifice is to be offered on the outside. Zechariah receives this. He's got to be well thought of among his peers because he served as a priest for for his entire life. And you did not retire out of the priesthood. And so he's well thought of. And I'm sure that everybody around said, what a person, what an honor for him to receive. And what I want to encourage you with is that Zechariah continued to be faithful. Even though it seemed like God was not answering his prayer, he continued to be faithful. And so what he would show up and do his duties and continue to be blameless. And his wife was blameless with him. They remained faithful through it all, leaning on to God. And what I want you to take away from that is, while you're waiting for whatever it is you're waiting for, keep showing up. He was in the place where he's going to encounter God and it was just part of his habit and his routine. So many of us, because we don't wait well, we start to drift from God. God doesn't go anywhere, but we go somewhere. We start to walk away. We start pulling ourselves out of the community of faith, out of the support of those around us that can love us and encourage us and pray for us and pray with us and hold us accountable. So whatever it is that you're waiting for, Whatever it is that you've been praying for, like Elizabeth and Zechariah, thinking that this prayer has not been heard, I'm going to encourage you to keep showing up. Because again, God's at work behind the scenes that you can't see. And there's going to come a moment where God acts and you don't want to miss it. So Zechariah goes in. And he begins to perform this burning of incense. He waits on a signal that comes from the outside. And then he begins to light the incense, this aroma that begins to carry forth. And then his job is to light an incense and to begin a prayer. So he lights the incense and then he begins the prayer. And the prayer is for the consolation of Israel. For God to send the Messiah and deliver Israel and make all things right again. Because remember, they're an occupied country. And in the very midst of him doing this, this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, he gets interrupted. And in the middle, while he's offering this prayer, an angel shows up. Verse 11. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense, when Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. You see lots of angels this time of year. They're not cute. You may see cute ones on your Christmas tree, but when they showed up, they were never cute. No, an angel never showed up, and the response in Scripture was never, Aww. It's always fear. They show up as warriors 
and his messengers. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will call him John. Just pause for a second. Your prayer has been heard. Now, what prayer is being referred to there? Because we're assuming that they had a prayer, he and Elizabeth had a prayer of, Lord, would you bless us with a child? Would you bless us with a child? Would you bless us with a child? And he's also been praying the priestly prayer that he and so many others are praying, everybody in the courtyard is praying, for you to deliver Israel. Which prayer is Gabriel referring to? In some of the other translations, I was reading from the New International Version, some of the other translations, it says, it says, your prayer has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. What I think is going on here is he's actually referring to both prayers, Gabriel is. He's, pray, he's referring to the prayer that you were just now praying for Israel to be made right and whole again. For God to finally step in after so many years of silence and bring deliverance. And he's re- referring to the prayer that I believe Zechariah and Elizabeth stopped praying years ago. Because they're well beyond the idea where any rational mind would think that their, that prayer is going to be answered. And so when we, get, when we get Zechariah's response, he's caught off guard. Because he's just been told he's about to have a child. And his mind is spinning now. The angel says to him, Gabriel says to him, you will call him John. And you know that John means something as well. I love the names in the Christmas story. John means Yahweh is gracious or God is grace. And so now he's been given a mission. And here's what he says about this John, this one that God is grace. He will be a joy and a delight to you. And many will rejoice because of his birth for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He's never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He's born with a mission. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to their Lord, their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of their parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous. And look how he ends this. To make ready a people prepared for the Lord. This is always God's hope. This is what God's up to all the time. He's preparing a people ready for Him. This is what He's doing with you and me right now as the church. He's preparing us to be ready for Him. And you're going to give Him this name, John, because God shows grace. Zechariah has his doubts. How can I be sure of this? I am an old man. My wife is well long years. Zachariah's done the math. Now, I encourage people not to ever try to put tone into text messages or emails that you read. 
This is one of those scriptures that I do wish that they would have used emojis, though. Because I am curious about the tone of Gabriel's next words. Because I think they probably came across pretty serious. I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I've been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. This message comes directly from God. That's why I'm here. And then he says, because Zechariah went through this doubt, because this is so overwhelming to him, and now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words with which will come true at their appointed time. Now, I want to put a word of encouragement in here, because it sounds like Elijah just got the raw end of the deal. Now, maybe he was a blabbermouth and Elizabeth really loved, you know, the next nine months. We don't know. But it sounds like he gets a little harsh thing. Actually, this is a lot of grace being shown to, to Zechariah. Because this, his being mute, actually becomes a sign of what's happened to him. Because think about it, if he had just walked out and then tried to explain, hey, let me tell you what just happened, who would have believed him? But because something physically is different about him, everybody has to pay attention. And what I want to encourage you with is, even though he doubted, God's plan is not thwarted. God can still fulfill his plans, even when his followers don't always fulfill theirs. It's not based on us. It was never based on Zechariah. It was always based on God's action. And so Zechariah comes out and it says, Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah. So remember, they were outside praying. Their job was to pray until he came back out, and he is way past the due time. You know, this is a lot of people praying. You ever done one of those prayers where you kind of keep glancing up to see, is this going to end? Is this going to end? You know, as a kid, we would time the old guy's prayers in church, you know. And we always knew who the marathon prayers were. And so do you. And so we've got, a, you know, we got our little Casio stopwatches or our, our on our wristwatch, you know, cost 12 bucks, you know. And we're watching and timing. They're outside waiting. So when he finally emerges, they're wondering why he stayed in so long. He comes out, he could not speak, and they realized that he'd seen a vision, for he kept making signs to them but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After his wife Elizabeth became pregnant for five months, remained in seclusion, the Lord has done this for me. She said, in these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. Silence, 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 silence. God speaks. And when he speaks, he speaks with hope that he's going to show up in the world and it's going to be full of grace now. Zechariah, you and Elizabeth, y'all have waited so long. You've got a part to play in this. You will raise the one that will point the people 
to Jesus. Zechariah, you're going to have to be silent for a little bit because you didn't believe this message. But when your son speaks, the world will begin to hear about this message. That God's coming to the world full of grace. So I don't know what you're waiting for. But I encourage you with this last thing. That many times, God's answer isn't no. But it is not yet. God was going to deliver His people. But there was generation after generation after generation of prayer, and God said, not yet. Not yet. We're praying now for His, not His first coming, but His second coming, His return in all of His glory, in all of His lordship, in all of His kingship. And even though we pray that prayer, and sometimes we experience the difficulty of waiting on that prayer because we still struggle in this world. We, we're praying for it to be made right. It's not yet. And he even addresses this idea in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. He says, But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. It's hard for us to wait, but let's realize that God's waiting on us as well. And we've got to exchange our stopwatches for calendars. Because we want everything to happen the time it takes me to microwave popcorn. But God sees a long-range plan. I can't see past lunch. Because I want to run it all off a second and a minute. And God's holding up calendars and He says, Look, a thousand years is like a day. A day is like a thousand years. And so even the 400 years of silence, that's not even a full day. It's less than half a day. But for God... And he is patient because he longs for more and more of his children to understand that Jesus has come into the world with hope. And that's our prayer. And that's what we wait with anticipation on. That's the light in the darkness that is the coming of God into the world. Let me pray for us. Father, as we learn to wait this season, not for your first coming, but for your return, would you fill us with hope? Would you fill us with that anticipation? And Father, for whatever that someone that's hearing this message is waiting for right now. 
a prodigal child to come home, a relationship to be restored, a relationship to begin, a job to start, a future to be opened up, an answer to be revealed. Father, whatever someone's waiting on, would you help us to realize that perhaps it's not a no, but it's a not yet? And would you help us to wait, not with despondency, but with hope, because that's what you promise. Father, it's in the name of Jesus, the one that we celebrate this season and all seasons. The Lord of Lords, the King of Kings. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.